we're going to continue in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, realizing that I'm saying the Sermon on the Mount, I'm not going to get past the Beatitudes because I have one more week and I've been taking a slow look at these, but I think it's been really helpful to me and convicting to just stay in God's Word and explore just these powerful, important, and very known phrases that we tend to, I think, glimpse past because they seem simple and they seem introductory, but they say so much. To just kind of review where we've been very quickly, we talked so far about the first, the second, and third beatitude. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the first one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's the second. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And the one we get to today, and it'll be on your screen, it's blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. One of the points I made is that you can see within the Beatitudes a pathway of the Christian in that before one is converted, before we come to trust Jesus as our Savior, we trust ourselves. So we don't really want to have anything to do with Jesus as he is. We may have our own conception of who God is, um, but we don't want to take him as he is. And part of taking him as he is, is to understand who we are. And so part of that first process to be poor in spirit is the emptying of our pride, our worth, our value of things that are not in Christ. And as an unbeliever, we have no value in Christ. But as a believer, we will and we do immediately have all our value in Christ, but there's this emptying. So we have these first three, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. And in a sense, these are all an emptying of things that we carry as as natural men and women. We empty these things. To be poor in spirit is to have a poverty of spirit. To mourn is a sadness, a realization of the depths of our sin before the greatness and the glory of God. And then to be meek is to recognize that when we have wronged others or we have been wronged, that we do not hold it to their account because we have no reason to. We're not up here and they're down here. Or, you know, if we've been wronged or if we wronged, we're meek. We do not hold it to the other's account. We empty ourselves of that right that we think we have. And in this emptying process, the first three steps, that is the coming to face. That is saying, I am a sinner. I am in need of a Savior. But in this fourth beatitude is a turn of the filling. So we have emptied. And in this emptying, we've taken out these things that we have that are of no worth. And now there is a filling in the fourth beatitude. And then when we get to the seventh and eighth and ninth, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers. These are... Beatitudes that apply, now all these apply to all of us, but they apply to those who have been filled. And these are the outworking of being filled. We overflow. I read you a couple of prayers, Puritan prayers, and one of them, one of the the line that really stuck to me was it said, I failed to lay my pipe all the way to the fountain of God's grace. Just short of it. And then the second one was say, my heart is a bucket with a hole in it. And even though I'm receiving grace, I'm letting it all out. And then when I go to it, I find that there's a hole there. And, you know, we're not the first ones to recognize this. If you go to Jeremiah 2.13, it 
It says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. So the prophet Jeremiah is saying the same thing to us. The Lord is saying that to us through the prophet. Is that we don't reach the fountain of living waters. We have, we, we have within ourselves this, these pots, these cisterns, this bucket that has a hole in it. But we also have this promise from another prophet. This is Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. It sounds a lot like what Jesus is saying about water, thirst, and hunger. Now, what the Beatitudes are telling us, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, is that blessing is happiness. It is joy. It is being, it is right desires fulfilled and kept. And one of the other, a couple of the other things I said in the last two weeks, I want to repeat, is that the Beatitudes are applicable to all Christians, and they should be evidenced in all Christians, and all of them should be. We don't get to pick and choose which Beatitude we think we best represent. No, we should. all of them should be evident in our lives. They should also be a test for us to see, to test our faith. Are these things true? Are we burdened by this? If we are not, then why? And then, are these... Things are all to be present in us at all times. Though the reality of our sinfulness is, is that's going to vary. That's not an excuse. But don't look at the test and say, well, I failed on that one. Must not be a Christian. Well, there's, let's talk about the conviction and the understanding, the desire. But I would say if you see no evidence and you have no problem with that, then you're you're not a believer because the spirit is in us and the outworking of these things is what Jesus says. Now that the kingdom has come, these are the things established by those who are in it. The only truly happy people, if we want to get down to it, are the people that fit the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor. Happy are these people. And the whole world is seeking happiness. Not many find it. I want to read to you this quote. This is Blaise Pascal. He was a 17th century Christian philosopher. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. That means happiness. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. And he goes on further and says... What is it then that this desire and this inability to realize the good which we long for, what do they proclaim to us but that there was once in man a true happiness of which there is now, there now remains to him only the mark and empty trace? 
which he in vain tries to fill from all his surroundings, seeking from things absent the help he does not obtain in things present. But these are all inadequate because the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object, that is to say, only by God himself. I love the statement he made there. Seeking from things absent the help he does not obtain in things present. We all probably have a lot of stuff. And um, and let's just talk about physical stuff. We probably all have enough stuff. But a lot of it probably doesn't make us happy. In fact, I would venture that for me, and I realize I probably have a mental issue with this, uh, is I have so much stuff it makes me unhappy at some times. But then I get unhappy at the idea of parting with some of my stuff. <clears throat> so somehow I have attached to stuff that it will make me happy, but I realize it's not. So I'm seeking, if you seek happiness from things you don't have, because the things you do have don't make you happy, yet they're still inadequate. Augustine said this phrase, Thou madest us for thyself, and our heart is restless until it rests in thee. So the whole world is seeking happiness, but not finding it. But here Jesus says, in these Beatitudes, here's how you find happiness. And in verse 6, to say it again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I'm reading from the ESV. A lot of the older versions and newer versions will say, they shall be filled. And uh, both words are, are useful. Both translations are useful in those who hunger and thirst will be filled. Those who hunger and thirst will be satisfied. My wife and I took a trip to New Orleans this week. We're very tired. We walked a lot. But we were also very filled multiple times. You know, when you leave the restaurant and you regret because the things you have were satisfying, but now you're unsatisfied at the way you feel because you're walking out with so much food and not in a to-go box. We were filled, and we had an enjoyable time, and it was hot. To be filled, to be satisfied, all that is needed. If there's something that isn't filled, if there's something that isn't satisfied, to complete it, to fill it up. Now, let's notice what this does not say. We cannot, we cannot move the words around here, because they mean different things. It does not say that those who hunger and thirst after blessedness will be blessed, which would be the same thing as saying those who hunger and thirst for happiness will be happy. You know, there's some a lot of philosophy in our day that says that. You know, why you're not happy? Because you don't want to be happy. Well, there may be some truth in that for some folks, but the bigger picture is, is that if we hunger and thirst for blessedness, we won't find it. If we hunger and thirst for happiness, we won't ha- find it Unless we hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is what the Bible says. And therefore, we will find blessedness. We will find happiness. We will be filled. If it's the one thing we desire to be blessed and happy, we'll miss it. We can't, it's something that we find in something else. And it says what that thing is. That's righteousness. And it's one of the great messages of the Bible. There's many. One of the great messages of the Bible. You can see it from the beginning. Till right towards the end, 
is that if you put happiness and blessedness before righteousness, you are doomed to misery. Uh, the Proverbs tell us that. Psalms tell us that. All of the Bible tells us. Many of the great names we can think of of the Bible tell us that. Many of the the less, I should say, many of the infamous names of the Bible tell us that. If you think of pain, think of think of uh, our body's response to to something wrong. And we feel pain. <clears throat> if you get smash your your thumb, but more than that. Your knee starts to feel some pain. Pain is the body's response to say something's wrong. You need to feel this. Something's wrong. Something's wrong in this part. Now, because our bodies themselves are wrong and they're failing, sometimes our pain is not perfect. We could say, well, pain is the body's message system. But we know that our message system, our body, doesn't even work completely right. So I realize there's some people whose pain is pain. They can't figure out where it's from. But basically, if you go to the doctor and you say this hurts, and the doctor says, well, you know what? Let's take some painkillers and not worry about it. It's not a very good doctor. You need to find the problem. You need to find the source of the problem, the source of the pain. And when you cure that, you take care of the pain. But more important, you take care of the thing that may be killing you, that, that may be immobilizing you. You take care of both. Well, this is what the world goes around and says... I want to be happy. So how am I going to feel that happiness? Jesus says righteousness is the path to happiness. But the world says there are a lot of other things I'd rather have in the path of happiness than Jesus. Than righteousness. We saw a lot of that in New Orleans too. What is the righteousness that Jesus is speaking of? Is it being good? Keeping your word? Being a man of your word? Is it just a general morality? These are all good things, but that's not all of it. There's lots of religions in the world that create really good moral people. There's atheist people that are really good moral people that tell the truth, and but they're not righteous. The righteousness of God's word goes much further than this. And we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we're going to talk about again, is... Is this beatitude referring to justification? Because when God sees me, a sinner, he sees the righteousness of Christ, which is full. The righteousness of Christ is not lacking. But I don't think that's what it's talking about here. There are times when it's very clear in the New Testament that righteousness is referring to that justification, to Christ's righteousness. The Reformers called it an alien righteousness that saves us. It was not of ourselves. It was a gift Romans 3.21, let's look at an example. This is Paul. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. I think Paul there is very clear contextually in these in these lines that he's talking about this righteousness is a righteousness that is a gift received by faith, not worked out by the things we do, but by what Christ did. Is Jesus doing the same thing? So I do not I do not say that Jesus is saying that is not true because it is true. Justification by faith alone. 
But if we look at the context, well, we're right in the middle of the Beatitudes. He is saying things, blessed are those who mourn. That is a mourning that we do. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That is a poor in spirit that applies to us. Now, these are things we can't accomplish on our own. The Spirit enables us to do it. And the Spirit will make it happen. But they are things that happen in us. So I think, contextually, Jesus is saying this is a righteousness that is in you, working in you. And we'll see more of that. Here's some other places. An act of righteousness. A desire for righteousness, hungering and thirsting for it. These are actions. These are things we do. These are active. Look at some other verses in the context. Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we want to go and say, well, that's just justification we was talking about there, then it would say if you're a Christian who's not living a righteous life and you're persecuted, that you're blessed. Because... You're, you're still a Christian because Jesus died on the cross for you and you're justified. No, I think it's saying if your righteousness reveals you to be like Christ, you will be persecuted and they're in that. God says you will be blessed. Verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's quite a challenge there and we, we can go a lot further into what that means. Again, I think I think Jesus is talking about an act of righteousness on our part. Chapter 6, another support of this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Again, why, why would he say, I don't want to belabor this too much. Why would he say, beware of practicing your passive righteousness? No, he's talking about an act of righteousness. In 33, 633. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek, do. These are, <clears throat> this is a righteousness in the beatitude that is something active. It does not dismiss the passiveness. All of these things happen because God has made them happen. He is working them in us, but he is working in us and through us. So, <clears throat> Let's talk about these three parts. There's basically three parts of this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Let's say four parts. For righteousness. For they will be filled. For they will be satisfied. We talked about why would it be blessed? Why would it be blessed to hunger and thirst? How many, how many have truly experienced? Now, I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or say anything. But true hunger, true thirst. And I mean, everybody's like, well, I get hungry every day. I'm thirsty in the morning, thirsty after I eat ice cream. Um, now, I'm talking where you're like, all I can think about is water. Forget any other kind of drink, just water. A, a Midland water fountain would be fine. The, the power's out. That'd be great. Well, hose, I'm so thirsty. I've got to have water. That's a body's response saying, Things are about to get bad inside of here unless we get some water. Same thing happens with food. You get hunger pains sometimes. You go on a diet. You're doing one of those 16-hour fasts. Or you just have been busy or you couldn't afford the food or whatever it is. And you think, oh, I feel my stomach's making noises. and Or I'm, I'm hungry. I'm, or I'm famished or I'm shaking. Hunger. We physically feel it. 
It is a tr- we, I think, all can identify with that. And if we not, we probably forgot what we were as babies, which we're crying all the time because we're hungry and thirsty. So what is this hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, part of it is to be righteous is to have victory over sin in varying degrees. Now, ultimately, we will have complete victory over sin. And in reality, we do now. Yet we still live, we still live in a sin-cursed world and sin still, we are still tempted. We still have a body that is broken by sin. That includes mind. <clears throat> but there's a positive sense that when we seek to be free from sin, when we seek righteousness, we do it because we desire to be right with God. We talked about last week, we stand before God all the time. We are always in the presence of God. He knows our heart. There's nothing hidden from God. Yet, when we see in the Old Testament, and if we just think about what happens at the end of the New Testament, when we're in the presence of the Lord God, we cannot have sin. So, if you think of creation, Adam and Eve created without sin, created righteous. And they had unbroken fellowship with the Lord, but when sin came in, That was broken. And we lived our whole lives with a broken fellowship with the Lord. Before we knew him, we had no fellowship. We're enemies. But even now, sin comes in and it creates barriers in that relationship because it changes our desires. It changes our thirsts. So in we understand that sin comes between us and God. We see that in throughout the Bible. We see it in the Psalms. We see it in our own life. In a negative sense, we desire to be free from sin because it holds power over us. We do not like to be held down. As much as we like to say we're free people, I can do... You know what? We are burdened by sin all the time, and it is always holding us back. <clears throat> Sometimes we're very aware of it. We are very aware of it. Other times, we are completely oblivious to the fact that we are just functioning... On a sinful program. It's just got a bug in it. But it just keeps coming up. And we do things. We're like, why did I do that? Paul expressed, I think, this degree of understanding in Romans 7 to share with us. He says, verse 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. And making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Do we think like Paul? Do we recognize that we are, one, how much greater it would be to not have that barrier between us and God, and two, to not be held down by sin? We want to be free for God and against the power of sin. We want to get rid of that desire to sin, the pollution. That's what we should want as Christians, righteousness. To be free from sin in all its forms. And more positively, a happy person who hunger and thirsts for righteousness is a person who longs to be holy. A person who wants to exemplify all of these beatitudes in all of life, all of the time. And a person who wants to show the fruit of the Spirit in every action, in every thought, to every person and before God. A person who wants to know God and be fellowship with him, in fellowship with him. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who wants to be like Christ. 
do any of these sound foreign? Do any of these sound like, oh, well, I've never really thought about it that way before? Or I disagree. Well, that's a problem. Because the Lord, if you are a Christian, you are saved, and Christ has entered you. The Holy Spirit is inside of you, and out of that comes a longing to be holy. A longing, a hunger and thirst for righteousness. The Beatitudes that we talked about. The fruit of the Spirit. And this desire to be in fellowship with God. Hunger and thirst. To be conscious of our need. We're talking about that taste, that dry mouth. The Psalms have some great examples of language of hunger and thirst. Something that is only that only goes away when it's truly satisfied. It's not just passing, comes and goes. No, Psalm 42, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And I love the Psalms and the, you think of the 23rd Psalm, and it's so easy to make a painting of the 23rd Psalm. Shepherd and the river well, this is an easy one, too, because we think of the sweet little deer down at the water, just lapping up the water. But I want to think of the deer in West Texas that have been going from ranch to ranch and can't find water because the well is out and hasn't really rained in eight months. And they're thirsty. And they pant like your dog doesn't have water or another animal. It pants, desires it. You know, they talk about cattle can smell water. I don't know if that's true or not. They do seem to find it. And they take a lot of water. Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. <clears throat> One thing about thirst is, and I'm, I am not one to give diet advice, so this is not diet advice. But hunger and thirst are feelings like we have, like pain. They're part of our natural makeup. They're part of creation, yet they're also part of our brokenness. They don't always work right. And we definitely contend them and make them better or worse by the things we do. Most of us were not born loving soft drinks. Definitely not diet Cokes. But you drink them long enough, it's pretty hard to quit drinking them. I never liked the diet drinks, but from what I've heard, they're harder to quit than the sugar drinks. We change our thirst physically by the things we expose it to. You know, most kids at a certain point, if they drink a lot of non-water drinks, aren't too interested in water until they're really thirsty. Because their thirst has been altered. Same with taste. Psalm 36, 8 through 9. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. So we have this example of the deer. It pants for the flowing stream. And we have this example of a soul that thirsts like it's in a desert land where there is no water. But don't let that... Get into your mind the idea that the drink and the food, the spiritual food and the spiritual drink that the Lord offers is just adequate. Or that it's, it's the plain water. No. 
What it is, is we're thirsting for everything. We would take the gutter water because we're so thirsty. But what the Lord is offering us in Psalm 36, it says, the river of your delights, the fountain of life. This is the best water. We're talking spiritual things here. But in this metaphor, it is the best. It is life-giving. The Psalms are a test. Do we identify with this hunger of the psalmist? John Darby said this. These are great quotes. To be hungry is not enough. I must be really starving to know what is in his heart towards me, in God's heart towards me. And he also said, when the prodigal son was hungry, he went to feed on husks. But when he was starving, he turned to his father. Do we sense that we are starving? Spoke the last two weeks, and I'll repeat this. You do see this, I think, path, this progression through the Beatitudes. One, one begets the next, yet they all still apply to us. So as a believer, it is wrong for me to say, well, there was a time that I thirsted for God. But now I am all done. I'm full. I'm good. No, the believer... Continues to thirst. The believer continues to pour out, to empty themselves, to have that poverty of spirit. The believer continues to mourn for sin. If you're a believer, if you come to Christ and you say, man, I look at my sinful life, I realize I'm a sinner and I'm just brokenhearted and I need you, Lord, save me. That's awesome and I think that's what we all have to do. But 10 years down, one year, 50 years down the line... We should still come to the Lord and say, Lord, I am a sinner and I weep for my sins. But I know they are forgiven. That's what the believer says. So the next promise at the end of this is that it will be satisfied. This is the gospel message. This is grace. That the thing we need to fill ourselves with will be filled into us. We won't do the filling. It comes and fills us. We never fill ourselves with righteousness. Remember, we have broken cisterns. We have a bucket with a hole in it. We could not hold enough of that righteousness to fill ourselves up. But the Lord can. And we find blessedness. We find happiness. But never apart from God. In our hunger and thirst, God fills us with righteousness. He will give us the blessing. Look to John 6.35. Another example of salvation. The order the way in which one is saved, and from a different perspective, from the Lord's perspective. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Amen? God does the filling. The song, Come Ye Sinners, don't have time to read all the lyrics there, but it has a great line. We often just think of the first couple of verses, but it says, Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. Don't think, am I fit? Am I good enough? All the fitness he, 
that is the Lord, all the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. To come to the Lord, we need to hunger and thirst. And the only thing we need is to hunger and thirst. The need to know that I'm a sinner and I must have my Lord, my Savior. And then the song continues. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. This he gives you. This he gives you. This he gives you. Tis the Spirit's rising beam. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Long to be like Christ. And you will have it. And be blessed. We talked about these, all of these beatitudes are somewhat paradoxical. Sometimes I think, well, why? Do, it's telling me to do one, but then it says I am the other. Or I am one, yet do this as if I'm not. What's saying sometimes is both. Two different but inseparable parts. You have a whole thing, but there's two aspects to it. I'm going to read this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones because he just said it so good. And uh, there's no way I can improve on it. If you believe truly on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you believe that on that cross he was dying for you and for your sin... You have been forgiven. You need to thank God for it. You are filled with that righteousness immediately. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to you. God looks at you in the righteousness of Christ, and he no longer sees the sin. He sees you as a sinner whom he has forgiven. The Christians, therefore, should always be the ones who know that their sin is forgiven. We should not be seeking it. We should know that we have it. We're justified in Christ freely by the grace of God. And we stand righteous at this moment in the presence of the Father. But this is also a continuing process. By this I mean that the Holy Spirit begins within us his great work of delivering us from the power of sin and from the pollution of sin. That's what we talked about out earlier, the power and the fact that it pollutes everything. We have to hunger and thirst for this deliverance from the power and from the pollution. And if you hunger and thirst for it, you will get it. The Holy Spirit will come into you and he will work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Christ will come into you. He will live in you. And as he lives in you, you will be delivered increasingly from the power of sin and from its pollution. You will be able to be more than conquerors over all these things that assail you. So that not only do you get this answer and blessing immediately, it goes on continuously as you walk with God and with Christ, with the Holy Spirit living in you. You will be enabled to resist Satan, and he will flee from you. You will be able to stand against him and his fiery darts. And the whole time, the work of getting rid of the pollution will be going on within you. And don't misunderstand What's that being said there? It's not saying, I get justification, I have righteousness, and then when I hunger and thirst, I get this second filling. No, these are the same thing. If you did not hunger and thirst for righteousness, you would never be saved. Because saved people are the only people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is hard to understand because what happens in salvation is... The universe has changed in an instant for us. But these are the things that happen. When that moment of hunger and thirst, we recognize our need. God fills us. Righteous before the Lord 
and a righteousness growing because his spirit is immediately in us and beginning a transforming work inside. We can't ignore the second one. That's so easy to do. I think we, a lot of times people, they don't trust in the first, and so they live their lives in fear that they will fail and they will lose their salvation. You never earned it. The Lord gave it. Christ earned it. And I, if you think about what Lloyd-Jones said in that quote, I'm just thinking about me and you, and you should think about the people sitting around you, and think of the awesome thing that is going on in each of us that know Christ. There is a supernatural work going on in that person next to you. That person you don't know well or that person you know all too well is being transformed into the likeness of the perfect Christ and will one day be perfected. I think that should make us amazed and joyful and make us, when we come in here together, just a little different than when we come into any other group. Maybe a lot different. It's miraculous. It will be fulfilled and perfected in eternity and will stand before him complete. And it's not that we are hoping to have that. We have it. It will be completed. It's between. It's a now and a not yet, but for sure it will happen. <clears throat> it is a paradox in the Christian life. It's this upside-down kingdom that Christ comes and gives in the Sermon on the Mount. The Pharisees can't take it. They're like, we understand the kingdom and everything you've just said goes the opposite direction. But I think the thing is, it's the right side up, is that Jesus is giving. We have misconceptions of what a kingdom should be because it's from imperfect people. But we are people that should be hungering and at the same time filled. There's the paradox. We are filled, yet we hunger. And as we are filled, we hunger more because we recognize the goodness of God. Like the psalmist said, a fountain of living water. Would you ever want to stop drinking out of that? Um, we move forward. We cannot rest. Once we've tasted, we can never have enough. I want to finish with the reading from Paul. Paul is saying the same thing. He understood the Sermon on the Mount, and he relates it to us in Philippians 3. Whatever gain I had, this is verse 7, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That's to be poor in spirit. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect. Paul now is switching. He said, I have obtained this righteousness from God, as have you. That depends on faith. Now he says, I'm not already perfect. I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He presses on to righteousness because he has the righteousness. He is filled. He knows 
that Christ will complete the promise he made. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They shall be satisfied. Paul gives us one more warning here in Philippians 3. This is where I want to pick up next week, and then we'll finish the last few Beatitudes. Brothers, join in, this is verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. He's talking about people in the church. Paul is not introducing suddenly into this and saying, there's all kinds of strangers out in the world that walk apart from the cross of Christ. We know that, and he knows that. He's saying there are people in the church. I've told you about them, and I tell you in tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. What do they hunger and thirst for? It's not righteousness. They're not Christians. As we go about our lives to hunger and thirst for righteousness, we'll talk about this as we go on next week. How can we know what our hunger and thirst is? How can we test it? How can we help ourselves not fall into sin? We're given many warnings, many guidelines in Scripture of how to be strong, to avoid sin, to not get in the way of the sinner, in the path of the sinner, because that's where the sinning happens, but to get in the path of the righteous. Let's pray and we'll go. Father God, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for filling us up with the righteousness of Christ, that you see us and you see the blood of Christ and you see sinners saved by your grace and your love and mercy. And Lord, help us as we live in this life to recognize that we need your help to live righteous lives here and now and that in doing so, you will be glorified. The cross will be glorified. The transforming power of your spirit in the lives of each of us will glorify you and show this world that they can have salvation if they would only trust and put their hunger and thirst in you, Lord. Help us to share your word. Help us to worship now as we go in together with our church and to, to celebrate the accomplishments and the and challenge these um, youth who are graduating, that they would go out, that they would serve you and grow to know you more as they transition this new stage of life. In Jesus' name, amen.